Hey, Christ community, thanks for letting me be a part of your spiritual journey today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. May I love what God is doing at Christ community, and I'm so glad that you're a part of that. Before I jump into the message, I wanted to give a quick update on our Compassion Weekend from a month ago. We now have 233 children in Colique, Peru, that are being sponsored by people from Christ community. I mean, you guys are amazing. We are together changing the lives of hundreds of children and families in that region. God is so good. Also, we just had three people from our Christ Community Spanish congregation place their faith in Christ last week, which is awesome. Hey, we're in the midst of a teaching series entitled Kingdom Culture. We're talking about how we as Christ followers are to live in the midst of a culture like ours. A culture filled with hatred and division, a culture where anything goes in terms of sexuality and morality, a culture in which the values that are a vital part of our faith are largely being ignored. And I feel like a lot of Christians are struggling right now with all the change happening in our culture and not really knowing what to do. Are we to stand up and fight? Are we to stick our head in the sand and wait for Jesus to come back? I mean, how are we to live as Christ followers? Well, thankfully, Jesus answers this question for us in this amazingly powerful section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapters 5 to 7, Jesus gives us a detailed description of what it looks like to live as people of his kingdom rather than living according to the kingdom of this world. And what's fascinating is how he starts this teaching. He begins this teaching with the word blessed. To live according to his kingdom is to experience the blessing of God. It is to live in the fullness of what God desires for us. So two weeks ago, we talked about the blessing of being poor in spirit. And then last week, KJ beautifully described the blessing of mourning. Well, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where Jesus describes another very countercultural value of the kingdom, of his kingdom. In Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now we read that and we think, you have got to be kidding. I mean, there is no way being meek results in inheriting the earth or inheriting anything for that matter. Meekness is weakness, right? I mean, meekness is being docile and passive, wimpy, you know. So what on earth is Jesus talking about here? Well, first, we need to define what this word meek really means. And one way to do that is to look at other places in the Bible where this word is used. And what we discover a few chapters later in Matthew is that Jesus actually uses this same word to describe himself. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says, I am gentle. That word gentle is the same exact word used in in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Now, can we all agree that Jesus was not a weak person? On the contrary, he consistently demonstrated courage and strength and conviction. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It is a gentle strength, which describes Jesus so perfectly. Jesus is God, right? But he used that strength 
with gentleness. He used his strength to bring life to others and to serve others. I mean, this is, the, this is in complete contrast to the kingdom of this world. In the first week of this series, I talked about how the kingdom of this world is a power over kingdom, where you are your own king, where, where, we use, where we use our power to control and oppress and dominate other people in order to achieve our own desires. That's the kingdom of this world. But the kingdom of God is a power under kingdom. We use our power to serve others and bless others and elevate others. And one of the most powerful ways to do that is by choosing gentleness, by choosing to leverage our power in a gentle way. Now, one of the things that honestly surprised me quite a bit in my preparing this message was how often meekness or gentleness is mentioned in the New Testament, how often we are urged to be gentle in the way we treat other people. I was surprised. For instance, check out Ephesians 4. Verses one and two, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Notice this is our calling as followers of Jesus to be completely gentle. This isn't an option. And this isn't only for introverts or quiet types. You know, this is for every follower of Jesus. When Jesus says, blessed are the gentle or blessed are the meek, he, he's not simply saying, oh, oh, by the way, for you quiet introverts, you're, I just want you to know you're okay. You're okay. You're good. No, he's not saying that. He is calling all of us to exude gentleness in our lives. He's calling all of us to demonstrate gentleness in our relationships. Here's another passage, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There it is again. Clothe yourselves with gentleness. And what about Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where we read about the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I confess, I had not really noticed that word gentleness in all these passages, even though I had read them hundreds of times. I think my experience is sort of a microcosm of what has been happening within Christianity in America. I think we have lost sight of or skipped over or ignored this repeated command, this very specific calling from Jesus. As followers of Christ, we are to exude gentleness in our words and in our social media posts and in our relationships with people we disagree with. Gentleness is a characteristic of people of the kingdom of God. Gentleness is a huge value in the kingdom of God. But often, we as Christ followers are not embracing gentleness. So what's the opposite of gentleness? Well, Paul tells us in these passages we just read, for instance, in Colossians 3.8, he writes, but now you must rid, also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. The opposite of gentleness is, is anger 
rage, you know, calling people derogatory names. It's being rude and abrasive. It's powering up to win an argument. It's shouting louder than the person you disagree with. It's, it's focused on winning at all costs. It's being demanding and aggressive. I mean, it, it's what we see in the news every day as politicians power up and shout accusations at each other. It's what we see every day on social media where people power up and get angry and make nasty comments or derogatory statements about other people. You know, I, I really wish I could say that we as Christ followers are modeling a better way, a different way of interacting, but I, but I can't say that. A few days after this recent election, a friend of mine, one of the most gentle and godly people you'll ever meet, posted on social media something like, well, it looks like we have a new president. Let's pray for the new leadership of our country. That was it. He wasn't making a political statement. He wasn't choosing sides. He wasn't revealing who he voted for. All he was doing was applying 1 Timothy 2, where we are commanded to pray for our leaders. The minute he posted it, he started getting attacked by other Christians who called him derogatory names and posted angry, nasty comments. It got so bad that he had to take down his post. I mean, he was simply encouraging us to apply the Bible and pray for our leaders, and he was vilified by other Christians. I don't even know how to process that. I don't even know how to process that, except to wonder, how have we drifted so far from this kingdom value? How can we so blatantly ignore this repeated command in Scripture that we are to be gentle? I mean, if we can't even do this with our brothers and sisters in Christ, who can we do this with? And not only that, what, what are we modeling in doing this? What are we modeling to the world? I mean, what kingdom are we actually pursuing? A power over kingdom where anger rules and the loudest voice wins? Or a power under kingdom where we speak respectfully and gently to people? I mean, honestly, this is like love 101. This is one-on-one love. I mean, how does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not rude or easily angered. In other words, love is gentle. Not weak. It's gentle. It is strength under control. Can you imagine the impact if we as Christ followers stopped embracing the power over approach of the world and we instead embraced gentleness? What if gentleness was the filter we used before we say anything to anyone? Our spouse, our children, our parents, our coworkers, the fast food employee who messed up our order, what if gentleness was the filter we used before we post a response to something on social media? I mean, the impact would be profound. In fact, Jesus tells us what the impact will be. Look again at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In the words of Jesus, the gentle will inherit the earth. What does that mean? It means that the earth belongs to the gentle. 
in terms of real influence and impact. To inherit the earth is to actually see God's loving kingdom advance, to see lives changed by Jesus, to see his influence increase. And I know this is so counterintuitive. This is so counterintuitive, but it is absolutely true. Gentleness enables the kingdom of God to advance in a far greater way than power ever will. I mean it. That's what we're learning here. I'm going to say it again. Gentleness enables the kingdom of God to advance in a far greater way than power ever will. Throughout the history of the church, Christians have repeatedly been seduced by the idea that political or military power is how the kingdom advances. But it's not. Gentleness opens the door for people to be drawn to Jesus. Gentleness earns respect and influence. I mean, why is it that when people are asked who the greatest president of the United States was, the overwhelming answer is Abraham Lincoln, who refused to denigrate his enemies. He refused to get back at his critics. In fact, he brought many of his critics onto his cabinet. I mean, you can read the Book of Rivals, fascinating book that talks about how Abraham Lincoln invited his, his critics to be on his cabinet. He refused, Abraham Lincoln refused to punish the South after the war was over. Even though they lost, the North won, he refused to punish them. He exuded strength under control and he won the hearts of our nation. When you think about the most influential woman in history, whose name is always near the top of that list? Mother Teresa. She exuded a gentleness, a quiet strength. And in doing so, she had the ear of kings and presidents alike. I mean, who in the modern age has had the greatest influence on civil rights? Martin Luther King Jr., who modeled this gentle strength, refusing to let anger and bitterness take root in his heart. Don't believe the world's lie that anger is the way to get things done, that anger is the way to gain influence. It's not true. Gentleness is far more persuasive than rudeness, rage, shouting, pushiness. I mean, we know this at a personal level, right? How do you respond to a pushy salesman or woman, to a pushy salesperson? How do you respond? I hate it. I hate it. I won't buy anything from them if I feel like they're being pushy. How do you respond when someone powers up and raises their voice in an argument? You know, does, does that make you more inclined to take their side? No way. I heard a pastor recently say, I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I never get my point across by being cross. I mean, this is exactly what scripture is saying in passages like 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Check this out. Look at this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
I mean, we're to exude, notice, we're to exude gentleness and respect toward everyone, including those who speak maliciously about us. Even those who disagree with us. See, shouting at people on social media is not winning anyone to Christ. It's not advancing the gospel. But Alan, I'm speaking truth. Look, no one cares about the truth you're speaking when the way you're speaking it feels angry, pushy, forceful, disrespectful, uncaring. Again, we know this is true because of how we respond when someone does that to us. I mean, really, has anyone ever changed your mind by shouting at you? Anger doesn't accomplish what we think it will. In fact, let me, let me geek out for just a moment uh, on some recent brain research that I, that I read about. At the, at the base of our brain is this, this, core, this, this fight or flight cortex. It's, it's sort of the gorilla. It's sort of the gorilla of our brain, right? It's at the core of our brain, the kind of the base of our brain. It's the gorilla of our brain. It's, the, it's, this, it's this place where our anger can be activated very quickly, right? Now, at the front of our brain is, is our frontal cortex. And this is the rational part that, that keeps us from doing something stupid. This is impulse control, the, the, the frontal cortex, right? Now, here's what is so fascinating. Researchers have discovered that when we get angry, when something makes us angry, and that gorilla at the base of our brain, when that gets awakened, our frontal cortex actually takes a back seat. See, instead of working to keep us from doing something stupid in anger, our frontal cortex starts rationalizing why our anger is justified. In other words, it becomes a rider on the back of the gorilla rather than a restrainer telling the gorilla to stop. Now think of what this means. When our anger gets activated, our rational thinking actually takes a back seat. And this is why in our anger, we say and do things at the time that seemed like such a great response, but later we're left picking up the pieces of all the damage we've caused. You know, we, we, we say to ourselves, what was I thinking? We weren't thinking. That was the problem. That's the problem. Our frontal cortex took a vacation and let the gorilla do its thing. And the damage done is huge. Often the person that we're angry at, when we start to express our anger, get angry, guess what? They, they get angry at us, and it's, it accelerates. Suddenly, both people are in a situation where their frontal cortex is no longer restraining them, and they start saying and doing some really hurtful, damaging things in anger. That happens all the time in relationships at work, in marriages, all the time. We es it escalates. It escalates. Check out Proverbs 15.1. This is, this is a verse that every one of us ought to memorize. It would be beneficial if we did. Check this out. Such wisdom here. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentleness has the power to diffuse anger. I mean, have you ever seen this happen? As one person escalates, suddenly someone escalates in a staff meeting or something in tone and words, and they're attacking someone, and the other person responds by gently saying, oh, I'm so sorry. 
I mean, you can almost feel the temperature change in the room. Suddenly, the angry person feels embarrassed by their outburst. But on the other hand, if when someone yells at us, we power up and we yell back, guess where that's headed? It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Gentleness is actually quite amazing in terms of its power. It diffuses anger. It earns respect. It makes us more persuasive and winsome. It makes us a more attractive person. I mean, if you're in the dating scene right now, let me give you some advice. Practice gentleness. People are drawn to gentleness when it's sincere because it's what love looks like. It's what love looks like. No wonder Jesus says that the gentle will inherit the earth. Gentleness opens the door for greater influence, for love, for relational health, for honest conversations. Now, please hear me. Gentleness does not mean that we never say anything. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean that we never speak up. If something is worth being said, it's also worth saying it in a way that increases the likelihood it will be heard. Sometimes we give way more attention to what we're saying and not as much attention to how we're saying it. And the impact is huge. If, if you really want to be heard, learn how to speak with gentleness. So how do we grow in gentleness? This isn't the sort of thing that we can just promise to do better in New Year's resolution. I'm going to be more gentle this year. You know, it, it won't improve by trying harder. This is why gentleness is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. If we want to grow in gentleness, it will mean a conscious surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But it also involves something else. A few weeks ago in my devotional time with the Lord, I was reading Psalm 37, one of my favorite Psalms, and I came across this verse I'd never noticed before. Look at this. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. I was like, that's where Jesus got this beatitude from Psalm 37. And here's what Psalm 37 is about. It's addressed to followers of God who are angry and frustrated because evil people seem to be prospering. And so the psalmist encourages the reader to practice meekness, not by trying hard to be meek. No, by, instead, by refocusing our heart. So here's how the psalmist encourages us to practice gentleness. This is what he writes. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love that. How do we cultivate gentleness when we feel so angry about what's happening all around us? We choose in that moment to do what the psalmist says. We choose in that moment to trust in the Lord. We choose to delight in him. We choose to commit our way to him and to wait patiently for him. And in doing so, in doing so we become more gentle. We become less angry, less demanding and rude. And our righteousness actually shines brighter because of it. 
gentleness flows from a place of deep trust in the Lord. Now, why is that? It's because often our anger is rooted in fear. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's always rooted in something else. And often it's rooted in fear, the fear of losing control, the fear of losing influence, a fear of the future. And when those fears stir in us, often anger is our response. And so the psalmist gives us such great advice because it gets to the root of our anger. When when anger starts to surface in our lives, choose, the psalmist says, choose to look beneath and explore what we're afraid of, what we're trusting in, in that moment. Raylene and I live near 42nd Avenue and, and 4th Street. And whenever I go to work, I drive up 42nd Avenue and I have to turn left onto 4th Street. There's no light there. You just have to wait. Well, unfortunately, our street is wide enough for another car, even though technically there's not a lane for that. And so what often happens is while I'm waiting to turn left, a lot of traffic, and I'm trying to see, you know, coming from the right and traffic coming from both directions, I'm trying to see when it's clear. What will inevitably will happen is that a car will come up behind me wanting to turn right. And instead of waiting for me, they will go around me to my right and block my view. And it really ticks me off off because now I can't see. I'm stuck until they get to move on. And so sometimes I will, I will just pull up even further to show them I was here first. You know, it just, again, it makes me mad. So a few days ago, as I'm trying to turn left, someone did this and I felt this anger immediately rise up in me. I was going to just move my car forward to show them and all that. But, but on that day I I had, I just had another thought. Maybe it's because I was preaching on this or whatever, but I had another thought. What am I trusting in, in this moment? What am I afraid of? Why do I have to win? Why is a 15 second delay that important to me? Why is letting this person go ahead of me that big of a deal? It's because I wanted to be king. I was here first. I shouldn't have to wait on someone who got here after me. This is King Allen on the throne speaking, right? But on this particular day, I took a deep breath and I said, Jesus, I want you to be on the throne. I commit my way to you. I am trusting you in this moment. And I realized a 15 second delay is not that big of a deal. So I let this person blocking my view do their thing and, and drive on. And here's what surprised me in that moment. This, this really surprised, here's what surprised me in that moment. In a weird way, I felt stronger. Realizing that the world didn't have to revolve around me in order for me to be at peace. And I didn't use any hand gestures to express my frustration with this other person. So they went on their way without anger being stirred in them. See, that 15-second choice opened a door for peace and blessing in both of our lives. Now, look, I, I know that's a simple example, but think about this. If I experience that kind of impact in just 15 seconds... Imagine the impact in other areas of my life and my relationships and my desire to impact people for Jesus if I increasingly choose gentleness. Imagine the impact in your life as well.
What if how we respond to people and how we talk to people is filled with the gentleness of Jesus? How would that impact your marriage? How would that impact your parenting? How would it impact your relationship with siblings, your small group, your friendships, your workplace, your social media presence, your interaction with people with whom you disagree? Well, Jesus tells us what will happen. We will inherit the earth. We will see gentleness diffuse anger. We will see gentleness heal relationships. We will see gentleness foster healthy conversations. We will see gentleness increase people's attraction to Jesus because people will see the gentleness of Jesus in us. This is a big deal. Huge impact. Let's pray. So as we pray, I want to invite you, wherever you are watching this, engaging in this, I want to invite you to take a moment. Let's just quiet our heart and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us, to each one of us? Where have we not demonstrated gentleness, but, but instead anger, rudeness? And as the Holy Spirit brings that situation, that circumstance to mind, take a moment and just ask, what am I trusting in? What was I trusting in at that moment when I was angry and I expressed it to that person? What was I really trusting in? And as the Lord brings that to mind, let's just take a moment and just repent. Just in the quiet of your heart, just God, I repent for wanting to be king, for needing to be in charge. I repent of my fear that drove me to that response. Let's just repent. Take a moment and repent. And now let's choose, just as we're envisioning that in our minds, what would it look like if we chose to trust the Lord in that situation, to commit our way to the Lord, to delight in the Lord. God, would you help us? Holy Spirit, fill us with the gentleness of Jesus. We want to put on gentleness. We want the fruit of gentleness to be flowing in our lives. And we pray that that would happen the more we recognize what we're trusting in and the fear and we, we, we trust you in those moments. So would you help us grow in this? And as we, in this value of the kingdom, and as we do, God, I want to pray what Psalm 37 says will happen. I pray that our gentleness, in our gentleness, we would shine like the dawn. Our righteousness, our gentleness would shine like the dawn. 
that people would be drawn to Jesus because of how we're living and how we're speaking to them. God, we pray for that. We pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done in and through us. For the glory of Jesus, we ask it. In Jesus' name.